Kia ora, ko Francis Lebeau, toku ingoa, aka IE Crazy. We are here talking about my new record, Country Justice. It's been six years since your last release as I Crazy. What's changed for you over that time and what's it like looking back on your last record? Well, it's strange. It's a long time ago. Six. It's been six years, um, which is longer than I probably ever thought would be between records for me. But that period of time has seen so much change, I guess, in my life, but also on a global scale. I... I've moved moved a lot. I think I've probably lived in like maybe five different cities in that time period and had worked so many different jobs and gone back to school and yeah, traveled and worked on a lot of other projects as well, which has been uh, really interesting. I guess I have started to, around the time Non-Compass Mendes came out, I started to do more work in the realm of, I guess, contemporary art and theatre, um, working in sound design and composition. So I've actually spent a lot of those years collaborating and working with people across different disciplines and different spaces. Do you think the work you did in sound design and theatre changed the way you approached creating your new album? Hugely, yeah. There's, there's a lot um, that has changed for me. Like, I've always approached making music, I think, from a pretty um, holistic perspective but my primary skills were I guess in writing what we would understand as being a conventional song like a folk song or a pop song or you know with a melody and lyrics and and such and even though I've always been interested in and listened to stuff that's a lot more diverse than that I think I I guess I just didn't really have the skills the skills at that time to push into that space but I was I've really I guess spent a lot of time working on that and thinking about the different purposes of sound and sonics in different spaces and I guess aesthetics more generally like yeah what what it means <laughs> what it mean what does the sound mean what is the point of it all yeah so that's been really been really interesting for me and a way I guess of like because I've always been I guess a writer and really interested in, in writing and in theory and so it's been a way for me to kind of I guess synthesize some of my broader interests with a a, like popular musical practice and some of the tracks on the record are actually basically direct excerpts or lifts from different collaborations with different contemporary artists. Could you talk me through the timeline a bit? When did you start on Country Justice and were there any conscious themes you were tackling from the beginning? I started writing it while I was still writing on Compass Mentis, so a long time ago. Um, and the seeds for it, um, I think, 
are in that era and are from songs I was writing in that era, particularly the the title track, Country Justice, which was the first sort of, I guess, snapshot or the first um, to come out, the first song to come out from this record that was coming about around that time that Non Compass Mentis was being finished. I was spending a lot of time in Wellington and I was really interested in the Victoria Tunnel and kind of found out this really dark history about it and um, found that really intriguing and disturbing and also was kind of shocked that um, it's not more kind of widely known. And I think that the history of this like uh, woman, Phyllis Simons, who had died in the tunnel, that kind of in tandem with some of my own, I guess, more personal frustrations with like relationships and kind of seeing the way that different like women and gender diverse people were being treated in local kind of creative scenes, but also um, like on a bigger, um, more national level and on a political scale. Yeah, like there's some samples in the track um, from the walkout in parliament after John Key, when John Key was PM and he made some jokes about sexual assault and a ton of people walked out or were ejected from parliament because they weren't uh, happy with what he said. Yeah, so it kind of, it started very early and then kind of slowly evolved and snowballed and grew in different directions and came back together and yeah. I was just calling you back to uh, let you know that I, I love you. I'm busy and yeah, stuff, stuff's going... Ich liebe dich. Going well. Yeah, I just, um, I hope it carries ich on. Ich liebe dich. Ich liebe dich. Ich liebe dich. Okay, well, I better go. Um, ich liebe dich. Before it gets too late and I have to be up. Ich liebe dich. Ich liebe dich. Was there a turning point where you started to see the album taking form? Yeah, yeah, there was, um, which was actually quite late in the piece. Um, during, I guess, uh, probably last year and early in 2022, during, I guess, the COVID years, my partner and I like suffered a huge amount of loss of people close to us. And I know that's not a... Um, that's not something that's unknown territory for many young people and young creatives um, in this country in the last few years, which is a real sad thing. But I kind of was grappling with um, how to hold these, I guess, heavy feelings and, and heavy ideas in the context of a record. I kind of reached this turning point where I had poured all of this anger into a lot of this music. I wasn't angry anymore. I was just really devastated <laughs> and really tired. And then it kind of turned into a, almost a flip side, like an A and a B, where the first part of the record is like, there's a lot of kind of heat and frustration in it. And then the second half of the record is really about grief. So yeah, this track during like um, this period of time where I was playing live a lot, and working these kind of like textures and playing with cassettes and I would always like kind of open a set with yeah like a, a mixture of different textures um, from different sources some of it pre-recorded some of it live and that was I guess a way of I don't know there's like a something cinematic about like not just like launching into a song but like having a, um, something to announce that's like 
oh, this is what this is going to be. You know, this you're entering a, you're entering some other kind of world. So this was, I guess, a way of trying to capture some of that in a recorded context and bringing different elements like there's like a cooking you know a cooking show there's like um, some different radio news kind of snippets and then some like there's like a reference to the um, Sharon O'Neill song Maxine yeah and so I kind of wanted to I guess raise the raise the ideas of like what this record might be about um, without like it being too literal <laughs> Justice, I started to write it a long time ago and it went through many lyrical iterations. Initially it was all about um, Richard Seddon <laughs> and then that kind of got scrapped and and yeah, I, I became very, I guess, interested and troubled by the uh, history of Victoria Tunnel and the story of this young woman, Phyllis Simmons, who was heavily pregnant and was um, killed by her lover, who was a construction worker in the tunnel when it was being built. Why people beep when they go through the tunnel, and I just found it kind of abhorrent, the act itself, and then also that, I guess it's not more widely known, and what that means in terms of uh, how this kind of like I guess there's this latent misogyny that just runs through um, a lot of New Zealand society. Um, that's still really present um, and then yeah there were all these kind of things popping up um, around the same time around John Key and his sort of some of his behavior um, in parliament and then like ponytail gate and like yeah all sorts of things and then you know it kind of self-reflexively became troubling to me that I was so interested in it and you know a lot of the record is kind of and perhaps why it took so long was me trying to figure out like why am I interested in these stories like what does it mean to put these stories in a song what does it mean to put these stories to a really heavy beat what does it mean for these words to be really um to be so clear that people can hear every word that I'm saying um it's I mean that's a bigger question but that, that <laughs> it's the heart of it really <laughs> Yeah. 
of the Waikato Women's Refuge, Te Whakaririho. I take personal offence As a victim of sexual order, assault, order, I take personal offence would like to order, move from personal explanation. The member will resume her seat. So Wetlands came about um, when my partner and I moved up to Tamaki from Dunedin just under two years ago now and we arrived like the week before a four-month lockdown and we moved into a flat um, near Te Wai Aurea and I'm from Auckland and I kind of grew up between sort of south central and west Auckland and so I guess the mangroves and the mud flats and stuff are just like so uh, much a part of my psyche and my I don't know my my memory bank of smells I remember coming back from Europe getting at the airport and I was like it smells like mud and I love it like it is I just can't get enough of it I love that smell um I guess like pay a bit of a tribute to the wetlands and uh then there's also the subtext where it's like there is I don't know in the news at the time there was like a cold case I think from the 90s that um came up where um there was someone who had gone missing down like in the kind of mangrove area behind a motorway and um yeah that's kind of the subtext of it I guess um which was pretty spooky and awful but um I wrote it in this in the garage and I really wanted it to feel like moody and kind of sludgy and sparkly um yeah and uh Imogen Imogen and I are very good friends I never even knew she could play the flute and then she was like oh do you want any flute on your record and I was like Ah, oh, sure. Yeah, like this track would be awesome because it's you know like a the the you know it sounds like panpipes and that's it's kind of got this like watery by the shore sort of thing um, going on. And she like ripped her flute out and just was like played this virtuosic kind of scale and yeah, she's incredible. Um, yeah.
Weird Weather came about through a collaboration with the artist Biljana Popovic, who is a Serbian New Zealand artist, and she had a show on an autotahi physics room, and she asked me to write some music for it. Um, and I kind of wrote the instrumental background, I guess, of what ended up being Weird Weather. And her show was really about kind of like cyborg erotics and cars. She's really into cars, or at least she was then. I don't know what she's into now. And so I was thinking about like machinery and cars and travel and like this kind of like strange, I don't know, like the way, I guess, in the sense of a landscape or a a place, a sense of place is experienced through um, the layers of mediation that we kind of experience everything now. It's like this sm- a smooth reprieve, I guess, from the harsh reality of a lot of the other things I was thinking about. And it was sort of like, yeah, I don't know, it was like getting into a, a bath or hiding under the covers or something. Yeah, this like smoothness.
have you seen Redacted um, emerged uh, very much like from the same, I guess, uh, psychic and aesthetic place as Country Justice, um, which was wanting to, I guess, in, subvert the murder ballad essentially and taking this very worn out narrative of like creepy guy who might have murdered his lover or might not have, will we ever know? And I guess, yeah, trying to flip it and um, telling the story of the the missing the missing person. And this was one, it kind of started in a performance context um, when I was in residency at the Audio Foundation. I performed it a lot and um, all of the stories in it are based on real events and it was something that kind of just like grew in different directions and there were all these different stories. And then again, like with Country Justice, I was like, how do I do this in a way that's not really cooked? Like, and why am I interested in this? And why are people so obsessed with true crime? And like, what is it about, you know, these stories that we are so fascinated by? Um, yeah. Just 10 days before Jane disappeared, she and her boyfriend Danny moved into a flat in Onihona. Jane was excited about the move and the chance to set up her own place. She was a well-organized person. She wrote books, reminding Jane didn't get to see her mother on the 26th of May, the day she disappeared.
the street, the seats outside McDonald's. And if that's so, that's fine. But my principal concern is for her safety. Do you know who might have been with Jane that night? Did you see anyone approach her between 8 and 8.30? If she is safe, I'd like her to know there will be no repercussions. Have you seen her? actually for a show um, that I performed at as part of the Tempo Dance Festival. And it was curated by True Paraha, who is a poet and a choreographer and a, a good friend. And the kind of performance event that she curated had a range of different kind of performers, dancers, and a couple of sonic kind of thesis and it was around this idea of the gloaming in the context of te Māori being like te pō or um, basically the the state before the separation of Ranginui and Papatūnuku and so with that with that kind of uh, I guess invitation I wrote the song sort of thinking about the relationship of Rangi and Papa and the creation mythology of being forced apart by their children in order to bring light into the world um, for there to be life and I guess the like immense sadness of um, being forced apart or being separated from something that you love so dearly in order for something else to exist and it wasn't I mean it really was like a love song for my partner and I don't know there's been so much grief in in my life personally and in the last like few years just on a global scale it's sort of ended up for me just becoming this like it's holding all of all of this loss um for me in a way that's like quite immense and um I don't I don't know it's I I really attribute that to I guess like the the invitation from True Paraha to contribute this work and the space that she made for me to write it, yeah, it feels much bigger than me.
Prayer to the Pill, it's like, it's meditative and gentle. And I think after, again, like, I learned this in trying some of these songs out in a live context. Like, I found when I, w I would be taking people with me on this really intense journey and again it comes down to I guess like in a performance ethics it's like are you gonna like just stop abruptly and leave people kind of reeling which I think like probably the producer in me says yes do that <laughs> um, but the human in me says no you know and I know f for me like I wanted to, to ground people again and like I said the, the second half of the record it really kind of I guess goes into this territory of loss and it's like a, well there's a joke to it as well which is that you know it's about a pill right and prayer to the pill and I used to be a very religious person and um, I guess it's a way of me thinking about what, what are the things in my life what are the things in anyone's life the little things that we do to um, help keep us grounded or like to um, keep us anchored, to keep us tethered. And I'm really lucky in that I, you know, can take some medication every day, which makes the world feel slightly more bearable. Um, and I know I'm not alone in that. I think, I don't know, I think after charting these kind of emotions on these, in these quite like intense places through the record, um, it was really important to me to have this really grounding finish. Plant dreams and hopes within my soul. Revive my tired spirit. Improve my self-control. Oh, 
I am IE Crazy and you are listening to Totally Wired. (laughs) 